0: Hello, and welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity, not just about being more effective and efficient, but about doing work with meaning and purpose. This week, I have a long-awaited return appearance on this show by Tony Stubblebine, formerly of Lyft, now of the rebranded or restructured re-whatever you want to call it, Coach.me. We're going to get into what that is. We're going to get into coaching. We're going to talk about a little bit of retread on habits that we talked about previously when he was on the show, how coaching augments and even accelerates and improves upon habits that you've been working on. We go a lot of other great places in this episode. So honestly, this is one where I already knew halfway through that Tony was going to have to come back again. So we will make that happen, but we talk about priorities. We talk about business culture. We talk about giving yourself permission or trying to get permission or practice. We talk about talent. We talk, you can see that again, we went all over the place. So, uh, this is a good one. You're going to like it. Trust me. Hang in there. Well, it is my privilege once again to welcome Tony Stubblebein to the show. Welcome back, Tony.
1: Eric, thank you so much for having me. I feel like it's. My privilege to be a two-time guest.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, it has been, geez, it's been too long. Let's put say that first. Uh, it's been like, what, a year and a half or so, and a lot has happened uh, for you and what you're working on and all of that. Let's do a quick recap of what we talked about last time and tell everybody uh you can go show you can go to com, and you can find the show notes for this episode and it'll link back to that old show if you in, just in case you hadn't listened to it but uh we talked a lot about habits we talked a, a lot about lift which has done a facelift i guess but more yeah. more so than that i think it's it's underneath the skin um so uh, we're going to talk all about that stuff but man we, you've you've
1: come a long way um i think You know, I think the thing that's really exciting about my work is I feel like I've set myself up to be doing ongoing research into human performance. Like basically for the rest of my career, I get to constantly be um, refining and evaluating and experimenting and figuring out what works when it comes to elite performance. And we're not talking about like, you know, professional athletes. We're talking about people in business, people in their own lives and their relationships in um, you know, whatever aspect is important to them, how do they reach it, reach the next level? And, uh, you know, essentially what I have the opportunity to do is take research that is being done in academic settings and then try to apply it in the real world. And so when I was on the show last time, I was working on a habit tracker that was kind of a community supported habit tracker where, uh, that the community would provide a positive reinforcement loop around habits that you were trying to build. And that was all I think we probably talked about BJ Fogg from Stanford and uh, maybe his BMAT model for uh, designing for your own new habits. And uh, and so it's like, since then, we've wondered like how much deeper could we go and also how do we make this a, a real company? And uh, what we've ended up pivoting into is one, a new name. We're now coach.me, and uh, we're um, kind of a tiered platform for coaching. The free tier is a lot of what was made Lyft so successful, but there's a tier right above that that starts at $15 for a personal coach who's dedicated to um, you know, to helping you achieve your goals, dedicated essentially to training you to take that next level. And we coach everything under the sun, but the most popular stuff is all productivity and business stuff. And I think that's what we'll probably end up talking about a little bit today.
0: Yeah. That that is an interesting pivot. So I want to, I have a few questions about that specifically. Um, when, when I hear the word coach or coaching, I used to think, you know, sports was the thing that, st- and it still does to a certain extent pop up uh, with that word. But I think in in more recent years, you know, it's been identified with something more like a hybrid of consulting and business mentoring. Uh, and and it's on more than just the topic or sports of or business. It's you know how how do you define that word coach? How do you dif- differentiate it? Because the word coach isn't just a noun; it's also a verb.
1: Yeah, right. It's a it's definitely an action. The the thing that. I think about it, and this is like it comes out of our research into really successful people, is that coaching is often the secret weapon of top performers. And the other place you hear coach most often is the phrase executive coach. So it's like just in the title that here is the secret performance hack that's only accessible to the absolute elite in the company, right? The C-level employees, Um, in my company, there's only one C-level employee, me. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't get an executive coach until I'd already been a CEO for several years. And I just always thought that was a little bit backwards. I mean, once I figured out what was going on, I was like, well, why wasn't I being groomed from day one to be, uh, in the CEO role so that when I did get here, I was like reasonably competent at my job. And so we're like, because I didn't have any of that grooming, by the time I actually, and by the way, hopefully everyone knows how to become a CEO. It's the <laughs> one job, it's the one job you don't have to get promoted into. You can just give yourself the title, right? <laughs> and so that's like the first time I was a CEO Was a company that I had founded and I bootstrapped it and I just, you know, I made myself the CEO because I was the only employee. Um, but anyways, like once I got, to that job I was so unprepared for it. And the coaching that I've had afterwards has been such a lifesaver, but I really wish I'd had that from day one. Cause I always knew that I was going to be, um, I'm just kind of wired to be ambitious and to, you know, constantly be striving to do more. And I just wish I'd had support all the way through. And, uh, I think a lot of people don't think about coaching for themselves because the coaching industry is not set up to coach you when you're 22 or 24 or, Twenty-eight, or when you're like a, you know, in you know when you're just a, a staff level employee or you're a first-time manager, really, like you're not even aware that coaching and mentoring is an option for you until much later in your career.
0: Yeah, and at that point, you're pretty much just trying to. Well, you you may be just naive enough or ignorant in, in the in the uh, you know in ignorant not in the negative sense, but in the um, you know, you just don't know what you don't know yeah. sense.
1: Right in the uh, Donald Rumsfeld sense. The, you got a, a lot of unknown unknowns.
0: There you go. Yeah. Great way to put it. Uh, um, yeah. So, so how, how, how did that decision come about in terms of the, the transit, the transition from Lyft to coach.me, uh, it was it? I mean, it's, it's more than just a rebranding. I mean, you guys have really just, you didn't, you didn't gut the existing, you know, program or, or, or setup that you had, you took that and still and it still exists where you've got all these right. props and everything, but you augmented and in fact embellished and improved uh, by adding in this coaching component, which really then became what you really are.
1: You know, I really don't think we could have even done this if it wasn't for having the foundation we built through Lyft is like, it turns out the most powerful thing that we built in Lyft was the community where we had you know, millions of people, who were really aspiring to, um, achieve, you know, like all sorts of goals and our first wave of coaches, a lot of them we recruited and trained from the lift community. So essentially you could say, I wonder if this person who has a 600 day streak in inbox zero might make for a good productivity coach. And that's actually the exact story of one of our top coaches is, um, is that we you know we recruited about a thousand coaches from the get-go and threw them out, like asked them to bring in their own clients, offered them to our existing community, and then started measuring their performance and I think this is to me one of the one of several amazing things about moving coaching online is suddenly the top coaches just like rise right to the top because you can see immediately they have different retention rates, their clients have higher success rates. And so, uh, so that then brought this major surprise. A lot of times, these um, kind of peer mentors who had deep personal experience turned out to be the highest performing coaches. And there's this one guy, Josh Roman, uh, who um, is like a CTO of a tech company in Boston, but he really likes coaching people on the side. And he really, like, res- you know, that kind of career transition as you get your first management role like really resonates with him and uh he turns out he like just by measuring retention which is a big easy way to measure the success of coaches he's like three times better than our average coach and um and so like that's a person we never would have uh, found if we had just been looking for professional coaches out there in the world because Sort of being credentialed is not a guarantee of being a great, a great coach, and so it's actually that foundational community is like kind of gave us the leverage to go deeper. And I think too, to like take it back to your listeners. Last time we were talking about habits, but what is beyond habits? Like at some point, once you have consistency, you want to build up your skill level and go beyond habits. And I think that's what coaching allows us to do, that the old lift uh, kind of stopped at habits, and it was hard to go beyond that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, in terms of going beyond habits, you, you've got you've got your habits, you've got them chosen, you've got them, you're, you know, you're consistently working on them, you're getting your props from the community, but only somebody who's maybe working with you one-on-one is going to know your specific situation enough to really... Uh, you know, give a laser focus to where maybe you really need to improve.
1: Yeah, our coaches call it spotlighting. This that nice. You know, the the thing is not that the coach is the expert who's going to give you the answer every single day. I mean, they they a lot. It's really a collaboration between the two of you, and off almost always actually you, the client, have uh the best answer inside of you because you know your situation, but you just might not have considered or been, you know, kind of thought it through. And once you think it through, you're like, Oh, well, I should go, I should do, you know, X. And, um, and so what the coaches do a lot of times is just kind of control that spotlight, you know, kind of push a little bit in the conversation about what, what to be looking at and what to be talking about. And then the coach is like, your can be often be just your sounding board and you, the client are just like, um, I mean, I personally, as a client, I like to be in that situation where, like, I feel really smart. Um, Although, uh, so, you know, it can go, it go all sorts of different ways. And that's, I mean, that's the thing with Beyond Habits is there's a million different ways that you could grow your habit into, you know, a really strong skill. And I think that's why you can't do it with software. Uh, It's why it's really nice to put a human in that role of collaborating with you because then the two of you can figure out the right path that really fits your personal situation.
0: Yeah. Well, and you guys have done this kind of pioneering thing where you're really transforming coaching into a a digital medium Mm. where, you know, I mean, you're, you're taking all the positives about this you know, always on, always connected, digital, you know, lifestyle that has become more prevalent. And you're you're using those pros instead of those cons.
1: Right. You know, I guess since I've seen both sides of coaching, I grew up in an athletic environment and I was used to daily coaching. You know, like as a runner, like we were given a training plan and we had, like every day of the week had something for us to do. And it was very highly specified and then when you move into executive coaching it's the opposite. You meet with your coach once a week for an hour and you know somehow that hour is supposed to you know affect your entire week, which is kind of crazy. I mean, a lot of times like things are moving so fast during the week, you don't even want to wait an entire week to kind of get feedback and make adjustments. And so the by moving coaching online, we've kind of taken it out of that Weekly model and moved it into a daily model, which then uh, you know a lot of times, like a couple minutes a day is a lot more effective than an hour once a week because uh, you know it brings in a, a really deep sense of accountability. It's almost impossible to forget to do you know get forget to work on your goal if you know you're going to be talking to a real person about it, and um, uh, and then you're able to make adjustments every day. And that kind of that pace of coaching goes way up uh, just simply by kind of changing the format from in-person to uh, chat. So the, most of the coaching happens via, uh, you know, text messaging, essentially. Um, and uh, although the coaches are available for calls and they sort of they'll sometimes do a hybrid. But the default assumption is that you're going to work uh, mostly by, um, you know,
0: through a chat feature in our app, right? Um, that that is interesting. I think that uh, you know when you were talking about <laughs> when you were talking about that that whole idea of we've gotten to that point where coaching is once a week, and you know then you've got this seven day period where. You know, hopefully you can make it on your own and work your plan and, you know, get your homework done and all those different kinds of, uh, you know, imagery that, that comes to mind when you do that. You know, it's like, it's like if you had a college course once a week or something, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's different if you have that availability. Like the best, the best facilitators, the best, you know, college professors are the ones that are, uh approachable throughout the week, especially through email where you know you can mm-hmm. ask them a question, you know, office hours.
1: We you know, we actually we've gotten a chance to really see the experiment, like run an experiment of doing business coaching instead of exec coaching, or call it almost like executive track coaching, starting you know at the very beginning of a person's career, and do it for an entire staff of a company. And uh one of the things that I noticed is that I think executive coaching works at the executive level because those people spend a lot of time on strategy, sort of organizational design. And um, so that exec coach can kind of work you through a really difficult strategy discussion. Maybe that is useful on its own. Even if it's only one of fifty things you're trying to get done that week, and then the coach really has no visibility into anything else that's happening for you. But when we work with people earlier in their career, that sort of the balance of strategy versus habits changes. And like earlier in the career, the habits become uh, you know a much bigger part of the coaching that's going on. The sort of like. Uh, you know i wanted to talk to you about setting priorities but yeah. i did and we talked about it a little bit before the podcast started but i didn't actually give you the kind of the impetus for it so as we're talking to so like one of the things we're doing is we're talking to businesses about providing our business coaches to their staff and so i've been in a lot of these discussions recently and every manager is like is saying some variation of they wish their staff was more entrepreneurial and i don't think they mean like startup entrepreneurial i just think they mean like they get blocked over trivial things and they can't just figure out that they, they don't like, it's not that they're not smart enough. They're like too rigid to figure out like, Oh wait, there's another way we could do this. And uh, like, and so they say entrepreneurial, they say creative, they say initiative. Uh, One company says tenacity. These are all characteristics that they really wish that um, their employees do. And I think kind of the, the issue is that if you did well in school, you, get, you enter the workforce thinking, you're just going to do what's asked of you. And in fact, the work world really wants kind of the opposite. They want you to solve problems regardless of whether or not you've been asked correctly for it. And so a lot of the coaching we do actually starts with set priorities for your day. And it's, the, it's not just the habit of setting priorities for your day, it's the... Um, conversation that goes on with the coach about your priorities. Uh, Like, why did you choose that as your top priority? What is the impact to the company if you get it done? What's blocking you from getting it done? Um, And then if you did get it done, uh, did it actually turn out to matter or did it not? And so I think about those conversations as really about training tenacity, kind of helping someone... Make that shift from top student to, you know, before they graduated to uh, like high initiative, you know, future leader inside of a company. And kind of it starts with a habit. It's really followed on by. um,
0: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search
1: A conversation. And the whole thing is this word that we've heard over and over again as companies wish they had, they were more entrepreneurial.
0: I want to take a quick break here to let you know that this podcast is supported by the Art of Charm podcast. The Art of Charm podcast is an iTunes top 50 podcast. It's packed with wisdom in the truest sense of the word from many different topics, including how to create confidence, how to get people to like and trust you, networking, relationships, productivity, time management, and it's fun and funny and educational at the same time. It's personal growth without being boring. It's a show about truly leveling up your life and relationships, friendships, at work, at home, everywhere. And the show offers meaningful, fun, life-changing insights with a practical edge so that you can apply something right out of the box every show. You deserve an extraordinary life. Go to the com or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. I still, you know, I, I think it was about a month ago, uh, maybe because everybody's using that. Word. Everybody's throwing around that word entrepreneur or entrepreneurship, or, or they're taking portions of that word and splitting it up and adding it onto other words. And right. and I, I just kept thinking, wait, what does that word really mean? I don't think that I even fully understand it, and I don't know that it, anybody else does either. And you know, it, it's, for some it just means small business owner. For some it means like you know thinking outside the box or. Creator or manager or, or you know portions of all of the above really, right? Um, and, and I think it, the way it, it translates into and you know kind of getting around to this whole idea of priorities for me, it's it definitely means you know often people when they say, well, I, I'm I'm thinking about you know insert problem here with an entrepreneurial mindset. What they really mean, I think, uh, is thinking about it with initiative and trying to compose some type of strategy. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does, right? Because it is like there's this void, right, of there's a problem and there's no plan to solve it. So, like, who's going to create that plan? And I had an employee once who said, you know, Tony, I've never done this before. I don't know how to do this. And I was like, well, that's great because I don't know how to do it either. And she was, like, shocked. Right. And that was like a real eye opening moment, you know, for both of us. And I like and I was like, wow, I need to really remind people that it's their responsibility to figure these things out, because there's no such thing as perfect top down management. Like you're the managers don't know the answer most of the time. And you're putting a lot of pressure on them to guess at the answer when you actually have better information because you're, um, uh, you know, you're actually in the the weeds of it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's one. The other thing that I talk about a lot is a a focus on impact. So I think a lot of people just want to say that they completed the work. Like, check, like, we have launched the project, right? And they want to go home happy and be congratulated for having completed work that meets, you know, it's like went through QA with good metrics, right? But an impact focus is going to look at, all right, we put that out there and what, then what happened? Did people use it? People happier because of it? People less happy because if that's true. We should just roll it back. And, um, and so it's like, uh, and I think this could be true anywhere in the company. Uh, like I've heard people talk about everyone in the company should be the CEO of something. So, you know, like there's definitely kind of really high responsibility things, but you could even imagine at the, um, uh, you know receptionist level. What if you made your receptionist the CEO of birthdays? Right? So like, so so now you think about that role, CEO of birthdays. This person, you know, maybe the, the they were told, I want I want you to be the CEO of birthdays, and I want you to remember to celebrate everyone's birthday when they're in the office. Right. And so they do that, like they get a card. That's their first thing. And then they start, and then but if they have the impact mindset, they start wondering is a card as good as I can do? And uh, maybe I should have uh, a cake, and then maybe I should figure out when every person is hired into the company what their favorite cake is, and then uh, maybe I should figure out what their favorite you know music is, and we should have a birthday song and a really fat you know quick uh, birthday celebration with music and like all catered to them, right? And so like where is that leveling up going to come from? Is it going to come from the boss of the receptionist or is it going to come from the receptionist? And like, why would it have to come to the bot from the boss? Right. It's like, these are all things that like every person in your, in your company is capable of thinking, Oh, I I could do, we could do this better. We could do this better. And they're just a little, maybe a little unsure, not that practiced at it. maybe, a lot of times the organization is getting in the way, um, but the hurdles to doing it are almost always um, surmountable, and uh, so that's I often I talk about that that impact focus because I want people to take responsibility for leveling up you know whatever it is that they're responsible for.
0: yeah, and I think that's again, I think that's that that initiative um, it, it's not just initiative to uh to act but it's also initiative to even look at the situation and, and and analyze it and just you know see what it is currently what is it supposed to be what's the expe- expectation of it um who has the expectations of it <laughs> is even even cuz that goes that, that definitely goes back to the boss i mean if if the boss is saying to the person in charge of birthdays um, hey, I want you to be in charge of birthdays. And that's the final word, like doesn't say, you know, what the expectation of being in what being in charge of birthdays even means, then, you know, they're kind of set, sitting there adrift with trying to figure out, okay, well, wh- how far am I allowed to go? What, what amount of permission do I have? Do I have, do I even have permission for me to give myself more permission? You know,
1: you know, there was advice I used to give people at a, I was working at this tech company, O'Reilly, which is mostly a media and conferences business. Um, and uh, advice I used to give people there, you know, people who are sort of considering taking more initiative, I said, "Hey, listen. The thing to know about this company is this is a company where you'll get yelled at, but you'll never get fired." And you know, so that's the you know a variant of uh, better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Yeah. So like you're going to go right re- like oh my God, you spent $100 on a, someone's birthday and it really should be 50. Someone can just tell you that and then stop spending $100 on people's birthdays, right? Like the, that, That's not the thing that you get fired for. And if you, do, if that, if you only take initiative on one thing, then yeah, you, don't, you have kind of a weird risk portfolio. But if you're like constantly taking initiative on things, you're going to have gotten a lot of things done well and one or two things that got corrected, which again is like a correction is not a firing. It's a, it's just feedback. And then, you you know, you learn from those corrections. And I, I kind of, I don't know, a lot of people did struggle with that. I mean, they're really afraid of um, how far, uh, you know, how far can I take it? And there's like, there's always, and, all right, so this is another thing that I'm, kind of that comes up a lot in our coaching. Did you read the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman? Uh, Yes. So it turns out that this dynamic that he describes in the book, that your brain has two modes of thought. One, this fast mode, which is largely emotionally driven, is very instinctual. And that's what's mostly going on in your decision making. So for example, when I leave my office for lunch, if I have not, pre-planned a lunch earlier in the day, I go get whatever my stomach wants me to get. That's a instinctual, emotional decision. The other mode of thought is the more much more rational, and it's called he calls it the slow, you know, the slower of the two modes. And it's one, it's effortful, and you really have to work to be in that mode. But a lot of time, so a lot of what coaching ends up working on is to take something that's kind of operating at your like emotional subconscious level and just pop it up for a moment to your rational level. And so like a lot of times it's like, what am I allowed to do? Right? Somewhat, someone will let that sit at their subconscious level being like, oh, I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want, want to get into trouble. And they won't do anything. They'll be paralyzed by it. But in fact, it has, you know, in our birthday scenario, it has two really trivial ways to solve that should be like, could happen instantaneously. One, you could just ask, like, hey, I want to try this out. I think the budget the first time is going to be $100. Is that okay? Or you could just do it and and deal with the repercussions later, which probably are not going to be that bad. So like your rational mind, if it spends even five seconds analyzing it, Will be like, oh, I should just move forward with it, and like, let me choose one of these two paths. But most often, for most people inside of a company, they are kind of sitting on uh, slightly emo- emotional decisions. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know. A lot of people don't even like to think of themselves as particularly emotional, um, but I mean, that it's the reality of it, right? Uh,
0: the, right. Um, I think so, it comes to I, I think I would say uh to to put myself in the shoes of that whole birthday scenario um, I think that really what's gonna dictate whether I go ask for permission uh well first uh, what's gonna be it, there's actually three choices one is to not ask and not even do anything right then there's the two scenarios or the two to two actions you brought up which is go ask for permission and maybe get a no or to go ahead and do it and maybe it succeeds maybe it fails um what I choose for all three of those choices, though, is probably going to be based on what the culture of the company has been like.
1: Mm, definitely, I mean, a lot of times the culture of the company does get in the way. Um, uh, but it's—I just always feel like it, there it's more off. It's most likely to be a speed bump than an actual blocker. Um, it's funny. I mean, this birthday thing is like uh, kind of an oddball. Yeah. Like project, I feel like most listeners are not the CEO of birthdays at their company, <laughs> um, but you know, I just I wanted to find something that's like sort of low stakes because I feel like there's a lot of a lot of that in our lives. Um, I know, I you know, I think about the the time, um, just in my own career, there was a moment in which I did take initiative and I got a ton of pushback for like a week. But then I got promoted over and over again, because, essentially because of that moment. And what it was is I was a software developer on what we would consider now a death march. You know, it's like a deadline had been set, then the project had been given to me with that deadline already in place, and then we would miss the deadline. And then they would kind of give me a new deadline, and I would just do my best to work towards it, and we'd miss that deadline and that deadline. So it's like the original deadline I'd been given was three weeks, and we were three months past this. Thing and I and then I started scratching my head. I was like, "Wait a second, forget this deadline. How long is it really going to take to do this thing?" And so I went home on a Friday afternoon, went to the bookstore, bought uh, this book on software development management practices. Um, I think it's called Rapid Development by Steve McConnell, who's like a great writer in software development. And um, and it starts out with this checklist: thirty-seven classic mistakes enumerated. And I checked off 17 of them. And I was like, oh, this project is really screwed up. And uh, and so instead of working on the project on Monday, I, w- I found a hidden corner of the office. I hid out and I specced the entire project out from scratch. Like, what have we done and what do we still need to do? And then, and then one of the things in estimating that you're often taught in projects is rather than guess at how long something will take, kind of measure it, like convert it into like kind of point, do a point system and then measure how long it took you to do that number of points in the past and then project forward. So I went into my boss and I said, listen, I think this project has um, 180 uh, function points is what I would call it. And uh, we've done it and it took us, you know, four months to do 110. So when you're saying we should launch in three weeks, I think the actual number is three months. And my boss or the project manager for this project was like, that, that's not acceptable. And he like started yelling at me. And I'm just like, no, I did the work. I like, do you want to look at the math? Right. And so I pushed back on him with this math. And we were like, really, in kind of a heated argument because he didn't want to go to his boss and mm-hmm. say how late it really was going to be. Um, and so it was I was absolutely going against the grain of this company, which did not have Strong project management practices, in which the news I was delivering was completely unwelcome. But then, uh, but then I, I mean, I won because I was right. I like I had done the work to back up what I was saying, and no one else had done that work. And it turned out that there was this huge uh, number of people in the company that had perceived that we were working on a death march and that something was wrong, and they saw that I had solved it. Right. And so then immediately promotion, like, you know, a month later and uh, a ton more responsibility and respect within that organization. And so it turns out this boss telling me, no, this is a firm deadline. We have to get it done in three weeks. Is not like that's not a barrier. That was a a small hurdle that I was able to jump over in less than a week. And uh, I think I don't. Know, I think that's a lot of what leadership is: is realizing that um, one of the you know one of the categories of hurdles is uh, your organization, right? But they're always hurdles; they're not barriers.
0: Yeah. What 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 made you change? What was your perspective change catalyst? You know what? What made you think? Um, you know, there's deadlines here, and I and you you know you just got put in charge of something. How, like, what caused you to stop and then decide to get that book and then sit and walk through that?
1: I know it is like kind of an oddball story in that, like, how many employees are going to be like, wow, my boss doesn't know what they're doing, so I'm going to train myself over the weekend to do it, right? right? And, uh, and you know, by the way, my boss, like, that project manager is a great person, still works at the company, has accomplished a lot there, was just probably put in a position where they couldn't succeed, right? It's sort of they were. You know, I always say, like, no one comes to work to do a bad job. So it's almost always the the organization kind of puts you in weird positions where you're not able to succeed at your best. And I think that's probably what was going on for him. But for me, I mean, I just I think I don't like to be unhappy. And so I was carrying the guilt for this really, like, late project. And I wanted a way out. And, uh, you know, it's like the way out was quit. Or figure it out for myself. And I've always I mean, obviously, like I've always had that kind of growth mindset. Uh, you know, if we ever talk about uh Carol Dweck at Stanford who has does all this research on do you know, do people think that they have kind of a fixed talent level? Or do they think that talent level is uh, something that they could, you know, grow? That's a mindset, she calls it a growth mindset. And it turns out that uh where you fall on that spectrum is one. It's trainable. A lot of times, people with a fixed mindset can be trained to have a growth mindset. But then, once you're in that growth mindset, you just you see different opportunities. You behave differently. And I, you know, I think I'm really fortunate to have uh, have that growth mindset. And I'll tell you, by the way, where it comes from. Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) You know, like I remember I was playing Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s as a pretty little kid. And my parents were like a little worried, you know, they didn't know anything about it. And they're very liberal. But, you know, they'd read a story that I might be turning into like a little Satanist. Yeah. And uh, no, I mean, I always thought, you know, there was a point I thought I was gonna be a tax lawyer because I just like really loved rules. Right. And I just thought. You know Dungeons and Dragons and tax law are the same thing, but anyways, in Dungeons sure. and dragons you you 're constantly leveling up, and so that like that kind of concept is so deeply ingrained in me that I think uh, man, I think it's the one of the most powerful things that you could you know teach your kids
0: well, and you also are constantly running into um I was never a Dungeons and Dragons person, but I, I'm huge into video games. Right. Uh, you're constantly running into circumstances where you've got to look at the situation, assess it, and then decide an
1: action. You know, I have a funny video game observation. I'm watching my uh, four-year-old – or my uh, five-year-old nephew play video games. and what it, He's always given the sort of hand-me-down Android tablet in his family. And so what that means is that the games all run, like, kind of slowly on it. And what what I have seen is that he's developed this incredible level of grit, which is another kind of soft skill that's a big um, uh, predictor of future life success. But that grit comes from, like, he's always dealing with waiting, like, loading screens and and crashes. You know, it's like me as an adult, like, I don't have time for that, right? Like, I always want the best... Uh, the best hardware, the fastest hardware, because I don't want to waste my life waiting for, you know, a, a slow computer. Because actually I'm seeing him with a slow computer. He just has this incredible level of patience and grit. And I, like, I went to a basketball camp with him recently. Uh, it was a, a father-son camp but I filled in for my brother-in-law. And, like, he was the youngest person there. He was the worst basketball player because he'd never played before. But he got there, like, half an hour early and just, like, put up shot after shot after shot and, like, terrible shots. But he would not give up. Mm. And, uh, and then afterwards, after just, like, really getting destroyed by the rest of the camp, like, it was, everyone was a lot better than him. Then we stayed for another half hour, like, practicing more and more and more. And I was like, what? this was, like, my nephew put in six hours of, of just incredibly focused practice. And I think it actually came from, from video games.
0: Wow, geez i I can't even comprehend that. Like, that's just not.
1: <laughs> I know I'm the one who dragged him away. We're
0: missing something there. We're missing something he has. That's. I, know, that's I so mean,
1: people people talk about. I mean, a lot of times the soft skills are the the hardest. Um, uh, you know, hardest and most important things to have, but they're also the hardest to figure out how to train for it. And so I don't know if we talked about meditation last time. That's sort of my go-to training for soft skills. I feel like meditation is push-ups for the mind, essentially. And uh, so everything that I do in business, I is better if my brain is in a better place, and that's why I tend to meditate. And uh, but you know, there's a lot, probably a lot of different kind of techniques. And I wish, you know, I wish more people took their brain to the gym, you know, the way that we take our bodies.
0: Yeah, that whole idea of and this is something actually I need to have um I I've been actually looking into getting some people to come back to the the show and talk about meditation because this whole idea that um t- again like you just said taking your brain to the gym it's not it's not literally going to the gym and taking your brain with you it's right. doing reps of importance with your brain and not like puzzle, you know, puzzles or crosswords or things like that but um, things that almost it, it it work the opposite way on your brain. Uh, like if caffeine was was a cheat for your brain, yep. this is the b- actual building of the muscle for your brain.
1: Yep, it is. It, um, yeah, you know, we we've helped I think now more than eighty five thousand people start meditating, and uh, and we, then we followed it up by doing research on uh who succeeded and who failed and really the biggest cause of failure was a misconception is that people think of meditation come into meditation thinking it's about having a calm mind when it's re- and so there's nothing push up like in that it's just you sit down and then suddenly your mind is completely calm but in fact that's a complete fiction nobody has a calm mind you know we meditate uh with this guy um William Ka- William zinn and his father like basically is the person who created um, the American mindfulness Mo- movement, Jonathan kabat Anyway, so his son is also a great meditator and teacher in the Bay Area. And like, you know, he'll tell you, his mind does not calm, his mind wanders. That's natural. And the push-up part is actually, if you're doing a meditation that where you're supposed to be focusing on your breath, every time your mind wanders, you go, oh, that's interesting. What was I thinking about? And you just name it. Mm-hmm. And then you bring your focus back to your breath. That's one rep. So fact, Yeah.
0: And, more, and, yeah. It's not, and it's not that uh, – and the practice is, is not to um, scold yourself yeah. for your mind wandering. It's to, to bring it – it's the practice of bringing it back.
1: And bringing it back over and over and over again. It's, it's actually like – I almost wish people counted the number of times their mind wandered, and then we're proud of having a high score. Because that becoming aware of what's really going on in your brain is like that's what we're talking about with the Daniel Kahneman stuff, the thinking fast and slow. It's the having awareness of the emotional decisions so that you can then take control when that decision is not something your rational brain is going to be happy with. And so like each repetition is good. You actually want as many repetitions as possible. And um, so, if your mind wanders a lot, I think it's totally valid to consider that a good thing. That you're just getting more mental push ups in that way.
0: Yeah, I was going to say some people would say, but why do I want to, you know, if, for whatever set time I've um, allocated for meditation, why would I want to rack up a really high number of times my mind wandered? Instead of wouldn't I want it to have be a really low number like golf, you know that the score yeah. was being lower meant that it was that I was better. Um, but the I thing mean, to be proud of is that you have a really high number and that you noticed and brought it back continually.
1: Yeah, I mean there's times when my mind wanders during a meditation and then it's like five minutes later before I catch it. Right, like that's actually you know th- to me that's the bad meditation. You know I f- I feel like I didn't do a great job there. And I mean, I basically, I try never to judge myself, but that's the time I have trouble not judging myself. And, but if, you know, if my mind is like back and forth then that's fine, and there's sort of, I think there's three legs to a meditation, that right? there's the becoming aware of what your mind is doing. There's kind of the control of your focus. And the third is the calming aspect. There is a, a really a valid calming aspect to it. Um, but it, I think people put too much emphasis on that when the other two are at least equally valuable, if not more so.
0: Yeah, and I think this really does tie into the whole going beyond habits thing. Although you are, I mean, again, by meditating, you're training your 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 habit brain habit muscle, I guess is is one way to put it. Um, but also that idea of prior, choosing your priorities, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. and in in that, okay, I'm sitting here and I am focusing on my breath. That is the thing I have chosen to focus on. That is my priority. And that practice of continually re-choosing yep. becomes then – that 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 resource of that mental muscle of re-choosing mm-hmm. then is available to you for when you have to re-choose uh, or continually stick to the priorities – or reassess them that you've set up in your life.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think about it's so important in business because you, you do end up multitasking. And uh, or really task switching. Right? right. And so, you know, I didn't do a podcast before this podcast. I was not talking to anyone at all. And so when I walk into this room and kind of set up the microphone, I, think, I take a really deep breath and I do like a 15 second meditation meditation which is really about becoming aware of where my brain still is in the past, what things are, and you're just like kind of saying, all right, uh, I'm still thinking about that email. I'm going to put it down now. I'm still thinking about this lunch meeting I have later in the day. Let me put that down now. Let me get ready to be present for you in this podcast. And then, you know, this podcast is going to end in a couple of minutes. And then now I'm going to rush out the door for this meeting so I have to be able to not talk about that, not think about that meeting right now, but then also switch into that meeting, you know, basically within, I think I probably have five minutes, right? Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I give that credit to meditation and there's just so many, like I had misconceptions about meditation and, you know, I thought it was a spiritual practice. My parents were married by their Tai Chi teacher. And, uh, so like, I think of meditation as something from them you know like that's the kind of like california hippie uh practice that my parents would have been into and uh and no now i like the more i talk to hedge fund managers or athletes like i actually saw a video of lebron james meditating on the bench during a timeout like he was obviously meditating you know eyes were closed he's doing these deep breaths and you're just like wow you know here we have the best basketball player on the planet thinks that meditation is something that you should do during a game, essentially. And, um, and I agree with them, right? And uh, so I've really come around on meditation to think about it purely as a performance practice. And yeah, sure, like you might have a spiritual experience and it's valid to use it for spiritual reasons. But I think there's a lot of people that are avoiding it because they don't recognize how uh, powerful it can be for productivity.
0: Well, two things. One, I, I applaud you for actually getting to bring up the NBA in this conversation because <laughs> you had said uh, we had asked before. I asked you, "Is there anything else you want to talk about?" And you're like, "Well, the NBA." And I forget what the other one was, but no, you, I'm you a, did well, you it. You know,
1: I'm a huge NBA fan. Like, I'm basically a huge sports fan. But when I'm busy, I do, I really have to narrow it down, and I end up narrowing it down basically just into the NBA. And then I'm a Bay Area person you know born and raised here and so for me my team the warriors who have not won a championship in my lifetime i think have maybe made the playoffs you know three times in my adult life you know some incredibly low number um uh they just won the championship i got to follow along on that ride and it was incredibly exciting but you know i'm also i'm watching them through a different lens now i'm uh you know the warriors are famous for having you know, the best shooter in the world, right? Like he set a record for three pointers in the playoffs. The previous record was 58. He hit 98, right? Like he practically doubled that record. And so I'm really curious that it's like, I no longer, because of my job and the research that we've done, I basically no longer believe in talent. Like I, th- I just think it's 90% how you were coached. And uh, so his dad was an NBA player, which is actually the secret of a lot of um, uh, uh, prodigies: is that their dad turns out to have been a really good coach. That was Tiger Woods' secret. It was Mozart's secret. His dad was a music uh, teacher, and so they got really good early coaching. So, like that's what I think about Steph Curry: this, you know, the MVP of the NBA and this great shooter, is that he had great coaching from his dad, and he put in really particular practice so like here's something that i actually i think is really interesting is that when he practices shooting he only counts as a make something that's a swish right like if it rattles in if it bounces in if it bounces off the rim and goes in that's not a make so he so a lot like when i used to play basketball and i would take like practice my free throws anything that went in i was happy with But no, his standard, he just set higher standards for himself. Hmm. And I think that allowed him to have a different feel for shooting than your average average NBA player. Man, (laughs) that's that's true. I really, I did. I worked in uh, the NBA basketball.
0: I don't remember what my second thing was, but I think it probably was something along the lines of, I I just can't believe that. Well, obviously, I, I, I guess it's obvious it's working. Like he's in the middle of a game and he's outperforming everyone, and yet they're on the sidelines. He is meditating and reassessing okay, yeah. where am I? What's my function now? And where? what does my mind need
1: to be yeah. on now? And then he pulls yeah. it off. Le- LeBron James does that. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So, uh, should we, is there anything we should give people before we uh, sign off? I, w- I would say. Um,
0: like you said, it's getting coaching as early in life as possible and even yeah. – not on a massive like let's overhaul your whole life situation. But like Coach – I mean, again, we're not doing a Coach.me commercial, but uh, that it's t- uh, tooled or tiered towards those individualized weaknesses where you really need somebody to one-on-one step in.
1: Yeah, I mean it just really – you can be grooming yourself right now. Yeah, you know, there's a kind of a kind of a like it sounds like a dad joke the more I say it, but it's um you know, something I, I think a lot about what we've learned about uh elite performance is there's sort of good news and bad news. The good news is that it's really accessible to all of us. Uh the bad news is we're going to have to get off the couch. Oh right? Nice. And uh and it is it's um like whatever it is that you want to achieve, like there is a path to get it and you might as well, like it's actually, it's not nearly as competitive as you might think it is. Um, It's just a matter of having, you know, doing the right things and putting the right work in. And, uh, you know, honestly, a coach is one of the best ways that you can do that. There's coaches freaking all over um, and just the trick is finding a good one. And, uh, you know, if you ever end up with a bad one, just like don't stand for that. Just keep switching until you find a good one. And of course, on Coach Me, we you know we're always ranking them. So hopefully, we're doing a better job than most places at um, providing you with someone who who is really top notch. Yeah.
0: And so the key here, and I'm this, uh, you're gonna slam me because it's a it's another dad joke, but uh, <laughs> is to go from couched to coached.
1: Yeah. From couch to couch. You know, I've, I've often thought about buying a bunch of, uh, couch, uh, domains cause I think the typo is pretty common. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, no, we should do a podcast, uh, one more later. That's just, um, bad jokes and puns. And, uh, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, uh, Tony, it's been awesome to talk with you again and this will not be the last time
1: you're on the show for sure. Awesome. I appreciate that so much, Eric.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did having it. Like I said in the opening, Tony's definitely coming back on the podcast at some point, hopefully sooner rather than as long as it took to get him back on this time around. There's lots of jumping off points, lots of twists and turns in the conversation that we could continue to have. So really looking forward to that. You should definitely go check out coach.me and get yourself from being couched to coached. I still like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really fun. I I really liked it. So uh, let Tony know on Twitter. You can tweet him. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Don't forget to go check out the supporter of this episode, the Art of Charm podcast, another great show where you can listen to people talk about succeeding in all aspects of life and how to do that. You can find them at theartofcharmpodcast.com. You can find them as well in iTunes and Stitcher by searching for The Art of Charm. Thanks again to The Art of Charm for supporting Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again to you for listening. I'll see you next episode.